Texas is very secure and it's going to be even more secure by the time you finish. A pair of presidents battle over immigration and dueling visits to the border. There's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity, nothing when we work together. And if all things we should be working together on is this, we have the formula to get it done. But amid the policy showdown, a different border battle played out in court. How the ongoing legal fight is affecting issues on the border. A deadly disaster in the panhandle. It's, it's sickening. It's, it's, uh, it just breaks your heart to look at all the devastation. And a lot of people lost, lost a lot. We look at the recovery efforts happening now as the largest wildfire in Texas history continues to burn. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. A split-screen moment Thursday at the border. President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump made dueling visits to South Texas on the same day and roughly the same time. President Biden met with border agents and local leaders in Brownsville He's looking to turn up pressure on congressional Republicans to take up a measure to provide more funding for border security. Meanwhile, in Eagle Pass, Trump joined Governor Greg Abbott for a town hall event. The former president pressing his attack on what he calls failed open border policies from the Biden administration. As the two presidents staged a policy showdown on the border, a different border battle played out in court. On Thursday, a federal judge blocked a new Texas law that aims to empower state and local law enforcement to arrest migrants who illegally cross the border. The law is supposed to take effect on Tuesday, and Attorney General Ken Paxton quickly appealed the ruling. Politics reporter Ryan Chandler looks at how the court battle played into the high-profile border visits. The operation that sh they showed me is nothing less than incredible. And I'll say this, uh, it's a military operation. I mean, we have a military, this is like a war. President Trump praising Texas's unilateral efforts to lock down the border. The governor in Texas picked up the ball and they've done an incredible job. But any farther efforts are now in question. The Biden administration pushing back on Texas's show of force. Biden does not care. Governor Abbott is showing strength on the border with President Trump, but back here in Austin, he suffered a loss. A judge here at the federal courthouse ruled Texas's novel new border enforcement law, Senate Bill 4, is unconstitutional. For now, that bars those troops down in Eagle Pass from inheriting new powers, like the ability to arrest and deport illegal immigrants. Texas has invoked the authority provided to us in Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution to declare an invasion and for Texas to defend ourselves. The court not buying that argument, writing, surges in immigration do not constitute an invasion within the meaning of the Constitution. The author of the law tells us this fight is far from over. The whole environment's different around this conversation when it gets to the Supreme Court. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. President Biden did not address the court battle over SB4. After meeting with border agents and local leaders in Brownsville, he focused on the need to pass bipartisan border security legislation. We need to act. It's time for the speakers and some of my Republican friends in Congress who are blocking this bill to show a little spine. Pass a bipartisan board, bipartisan, as another member, bipartisan. Conservative leaders supported this border security bill. Let's remember who we work for, for God's sake. We work for the American people. 
The president said the bill died after Trump demanded Republicans defeat the legislation. It would have tightened restrictions on asylum seekers and increased spending on border security. We want to take a deeper look into the impact of the border visits. Joining us now is Sandra Sanchez from Border Report. You followed the president's visit to Brownsville. What was the message that people in the community wanted to send to the president? What did he see and hear? Thanks for having me. You know, it was really interesting. I think twofold that there were two messages that really went through to the president's visit. And uh, one was border patrol agents, law enforcement on the ground, wanted Washington to understand that they need more resources, more technology, more help defending the border. And I think that message really got through to him. He made comments that uh, the cartel have more eyes in the sky than the U.S. Uh, government does. Border Patrol has 22 drones up in the air and cartels have an estimated 4,000 drones up in the air on the southwest border. So the, those were eye-opening uh, information that got through to President Biden. And then the community, um, those that help the nonprofits, the NGOs that help immigrants, migrants who try to claim asylum, wanted Washington to understand that these people are legally being released and the help that they do for them. There's a lot of misperception that the um, NGOs give them bus tickets or buy them airplane tickets and um, these people don't have a right to be in the country. And I think that they wanted to get the message through that we're just humanely trying to help these people. Majority of people don't stay in the Rio Grande Valley. They travel inland to other cities, as you know, Austin being one of them. And um, they wanted him to understand how that process works. Yeah, there's been tension over his approach to border crossings. How was the response to his visit? Welcoming or did he face criticism? There were some criticisms why he was coming to the Rio Grande Valley at a time when encounters are down. Um, you know, Lukeville, Arizona, which is part of the Tucson Border Patrol sector, for instance, has, has been having phenomenal numbers. So has the Del Rio sector where Eagle Pass is. That's the same day that Trump, former President Trump went to Eagle Pass with uh, Governor Abbott. But in coming to the Rio Grande Valley, I think it was largely symbolic. Um, this was an opportune time in history for Democrats. You know, Republicans have owned this issue of immigration, they pointed out to the fact that Democrats have not solved this situation. But when the recent bipartisan border security bill failed to pass in the Senate, President Biden used this as a jumping off opportunity to come to the border to say to House Speaker Mike Johnson, put this bill on the House floor, Republicans work, let, you know, you have an opportunity to fix the, be a part of the solution and you didn't do it. And so I think that's why he came at this moment in time. All right, Sandra Sanchez from Border Report. Thank you very much. During his border visit, former President Trump told Fox News that he's considering Governor Abbott as his running mate. Trump said Abbott is on his short list of vice presidential candidates, but the governor told us Friday he plans to stay in Texas. Listen, obviously that's very nice of him to say, but I think you all know uh, that my focus is entirely uh, on the state of Texas. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm working right now on the uh, midterm election process. I've already talked about uh, that I've announced that I'm running for re-election uh, two years from now. 
Uh, and so my commitment to Texas is to Texas and I'm staying in Texas. We want to dig deeper now into the border visit and how it plays into this week's Texas primary. Joining us now is Joshua Blink, the research director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So you've polled voters about Governor Abbott's popularity. How has that changed as he's put more emphasis on border policy? Well, I should say that first and foremost, I mean, Abbott's been putting an emphasis on border policy for, for much of his time in office and really has been ramping it up over the last few years, if not multiple legislative sessions. But with this recent sort of uptick in tension to the border, we did see in our most recent poll in February, his job approval move up a little bit, really to the highest it's been in about a year. 53% of Texas voters approve of the job he's doing. And we ask about specific issue areas, 10 different issue areas and how he's doing. Immigration and the border top the list. Well, we saw both President Biden and former President Trump on the Texas border this past week. Your polling has shown immigration consistently the top issue for Republicans. What about Democrats and independents, though? Yeah, this was a big sea change in the poll. I mean, one of the most notable features of, of Texas politics, which you just mentioned, is the fact that usually about two thirds of Texas Republicans will say that immigration of the border is the most important issue facing the state. For Democrats, it's usually about 2%. In this poll, it was 14%. Now, Democrats are usually kind of scattered in terms of their focus. There are a lot of issues that Democrats care about, but this really puts it in contention with the other big Democratic issues. When we look at the share who say abortion, who say gun control, who say the climate change, who look at political corruption and leadership, and now add to that list the border. What are some of the other important issues to voters and do people in your polls think elected officials are addressing those issues? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, once you set aside immigration and the border and obviously the economy, because the economy is always important, we do see some of these other big hot button issues. We see abortion is a huge issue. 28% of Democrats said that was the most important issue they were thinking about in voting uh, in these upcoming primaries. Uh, gun violence is another big issue that comes up. And, and the electric grid is still something that, that troubles voters. And we look at all of those issues, we see areas where the policy in the state is really standing in contrast to public opinion that is looking for or accepts, you know, exceptions for abortion uh, in cases of rape, incest, fetal abnormalities are certainly, you know, a threat to the health of the mother. There's widespread support for uh, you know, gun control measures like background checks. And there's still a lack of confidence that the legislature has done enough to address grid issues. Well, both Governor Abbott and Attorney General Ken Paxton uh, have made a point to endorse House candidates in races across Texas and sometimes pitting Abbott's endorsements against Paxton's. Does your polling give any insight into this? Yeah, I'm not sure that the endorsements themselves are really where, uh, you know, we expect a lot of action in some ways. When we ask voters sort of about, specifically in the context of House primaries, how important the ideology of the candidate is, their positions on a few uh, key issues to those voters, and endorsements. Endorsements was clearly came, was the issue that clearly came in third. Furthermore, when we asked, well, if you do care about endorsements, especially among Republican primary voters, whose endorsements do you care about? Donald Trump, not surprisingly, topped the list. Greg Abbott was, you know, in a distant second at about 7%, and fewer than 2% actually mentioned Ken Paxton at all. There has not been a lot of drama in the presidential races, but for Texas Democrats, there's still the potential of a runoff in the U.S. Senate race. There's a packed field to determine who faces Ted Cruz in November. What are you seeing in the polls there? Sure, in our most recent poll, when we looked at, you know, potential Democratic primary voters, 
Colin Allred got to 52% in our polling, which is a really you know, notable number because he's within the margin of error, at least in our estimate, of avoiding a runoff. If he can do that, it'll mean that all the money that he's, he's compiled and that he really hasn't spent a lot of can be totally focused on Ted Cruz. If he can't, he'll likely be in a runoff with State Senator Roland Gutierrez, uh, in which case, you know, I think he'll have to start dipping into his coffers and really maybe pushing that a little bit more. All right, Joshua Blank with the Texas Politics Project. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. A Texas law designed to block social media companies from banning users and content challenged in the Supreme Court. Coming up, we'll explain how justices have found themselves forging new territory in the realm of free speech and the biggest fire in Texas history. Monica Madden travels to the Panhandle next to see how the scores of Texans who have lost their homes and businesses are coping as people there settle in for what's likely to be a years-long recovery process. A deadly fire in the Texas Panhandle is making history in the worst way. Strong winds helped the wildfire grow to more than 1 million acres. That's the largest ever seen in Texas. Hundreds of Texans lost their homes in that fire and others in the Panhandle. Some of the fires are still burning, so we don't yet have a full picture of the damage. Now, this map shows the enormous scale of the fire. For context, this is Amarillo down here. The red areas show how far the flames spread. The largest one you see here is called the Smokehouse Creek Fire. It extends from just west of the town of Stinnett all the way east into Oklahoma. That's 93 miles as the crow flies. And in the middle of all that red is the city of Canadian, Texas. Our Monica Madden traveled there and found people facing a long process of recovery. Josh, we've spent a lot of time in this neighborhood in Canadian where unfortunately a lot of the street looks like this. Houses that have been completely burned to the ground and a lot of the neighbors told us that it was chaotic evacuating the area. Many of them as they were driving out were told that they couldn't leave because of road closures. That's how big this inferno was and to give you an idea of just how hot it is. This is a piece of burnt metal from this classic car. It has to be well over a thousand degrees Fahrenheit in order for this to happen. So really, really hot temperatures and it's part of the reason why the neighbors here tell us they are just thankful to be alive. This would have been my son's room. Sky Wilson and her family evacuated in a rush late Monday night. It felt like a bad dream. Driving away, she thought the town looked like hell on earth. But Wilson never imagined they would lose everything. We've dealt with the fires and the cattle and getting them out and everything, but it felt like a bad dream that I would just wake up from. Beyond their home, she lost her business. And this was my leather shop. That's what I do for a living. Across the street, the inferno's path inexplicably spared others. Sometimes a little guilty. I don't know why. Um, it's just like, why? Why? Like, what happened? <laughs> part luck and part a good idea for Casey Long. They were ready to go, and, and I was like, uh, you know, wait a minute. With his own water well, Long turned on his sprinklers, creating a barrier around his house. I think that did a lot. Uh, and by the grace of God, it house still standing so and I it's, it's just gut-wrenching I mean I don't even know what to say now he'll look to help his neighbors rebuild it breaks your heart to look at all the devastation everybody's gonna pitch in everybody's gonna help and then it just brings us all closer families like the Wilson's start a long journey of making up what was lost I looked at my best friend earlier and she lost her house and I was like okay what's the next step and she goes I I don't really know 
As recovery gets underway, we know it's going to be a years long process. Families like these starting to file those claims with their insurance companies, which can, which can take a lot of time. Governor Greg Abbott did issue emergency disaster declarations for many of these counties that were affected by the wildfires. That does allow federal resources to be freed up and more easily deployed to affected areas. But again, all of this takes time. So communities like Canadian are focused on short term recovery efforts, churches, volunteer organizations coming out to help people whose homes have been destroyed. And really what we've seen here is a community coming together to help each other. Josh. Thanks, Monica. Governor Abbott gave an update Friday on the state's efforts to help people affected by the fires. He gave credit to firefighters across the panhandle for saving lives. The largest fire in the history of the state of Texas cut a path so large that it exceeds the size of some states in our country. And it would have been far worse and far more damaging, not just to property, but also to people but for those firefighters. The governor emphasized that the fire threat is still active across Texas. He urged the public to take precautions to prevent wildfires. Senator John Cornyn could become one of the most powerful leaders in Washington. How change coming on Capitol Hill could put him in a position to rise in the ranks. A Texas law challenged at the Supreme Court why the outcome could transform the business of social media and free speech on the internet. Decisions on who controls the content you see on social media could be in the hands of the U.S. Supreme Court. The high court heard a case challenging a Texas law that seeks to restrict large tech companies from banning users and content. Our Monica Madden listened to the hearing and found the justices seemed stumped over how to answer these free speech questions. Is it anything more than a euphemism for censorship? They're cases that could transform the business of social networks and free speech on the internet. And this is a sprawling statute and it makes me a little bit nervous. A pair of similar Texas and Florida laws ban companies like Facebook from removing posts that express certain religious or political opinions, saying it's necessary to stop discrimination against conservatives. The state has an interest, a First Amendment interest, in promoting and ensuring the free dissemination of ideas. First Amendment protections apply to actions by governments and not private entities. But with social networks acting as the modern public square, some justices questioned the tech company's power to regulate speech. They can discriminate against particular uh, groups that they don't like. The Biden administration siding with the social media companies, saying they have the right to self-regulate. The difference here, of course, is that these platforms are private parties. They're not bound by the First Amendment yeah. as an initial matter. This wasn't an easy case. Experts say the stakes are high. On the one side, you have the rights of citizens to speak without having their stuff shadow banned. And the other side, you have the right of these tech companies to sort of decide what content goes to their platforms. So there's really free speech issues on both sides. Monica Madden, State of Texas. Both the Texas and Florida laws are currently on hold. How the Supreme Court rules could lead to even more litigation in the lower courts. The Supreme Court took up another case last week with ties to Texas. Justices heard a case on bump stocks. That's a gun accessory that speeds up the firing rate of a semi-automatic rifle. The government banned bump stocks after the 2017 mass shooting in Las Vegas that killed 60 people and injured hundreds more. Austin gun shop owner Michael Cargill sued 
sued over the ban, saying the Trump administration did not follow federal law. The Biden administration is defending the ban. A decision in this case is expected by early summer. One of the most powerful leaders on Capitol Hill is stepping down, and that's setting the stage for a battle to take his place. How one influential Texan could rise to power. Texas Senator John Cornyn is making a push to win one of the most powerful positions on Capitol Hill. It comes after a huge shakeup in Senate leadership. Father time remains undefeated. I'm no longer the young man sitting in the back hoping colleagues would remember my name. It's time for the next generation of leadership. 82-year-old Senator Mitch McConnell announced he will step down in November from his position as Senate Minority Leader. He's led Republicans in the Senate for 17 years. It's a powerful position. The Minority Leader works to coordinate Republican legislative strategies and serves as spokesperson for the party's positions on the issues. Now, Senator Cornyn is trying to win support from fellow Republicans to take over when McConnell steps down. Cornyn officially announced his bid on Thursday. He released a statement saying in part he's built a track record of listening to colleagues and seeking consensus while leading the fight to stop bad policies that are harmful to our nation and the conservative cause. Senator Cornyn says if he takes McConnell's place, he will work to improve communication, increase transparency, and restore the role of Senate committees. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle, and we'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.